We began a short series last week looking at a story in the New Testament about one of Jesus' friends, a man called Lazarus. Lazarus and his two sisters were some of Jesus' best friends. He visited them, he stayed with them, ate with them, taught in their house. They were probably like family to him. Their home was a safe place for him. Their company was comforting to him. He loved them and they loved him. And then the message came to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, you need to come. And he did. He made his way to the place where they stayed and he meets Martha, Lazarus's sister, who relays the news to him. He's dead. He died. Lazarus is dead, Jesus, and I think if you had been here, it would have been different. Zach took us through that encounter last Sunday, leading us and inviting us to experience Jesus as the one who is with us in our questioning who welcomes our questions and our cries of distress and confusion. We learn that it is in the very place of suffering that God reveals the fullness of himself. He is not absent or removed from our questions and doubts and distresses. Rather, he is fully present in them and he shows us the fullness of who he is through them. Today, we're talking about grief. We'll read about Jesus' experience of grief and and from that, hopefully, we'll find some understanding or at least some space for our own. Because that's part of what we're experiencing at the minute. You may not call it that, maybe you don't want to, but collectively, as a human race, we are grieving. I don't think any of us have ever known it on this scale before. We are all feeling deeply the loss of something. For some, it is the actual loss of loved ones. For others, it's the loss of a job or of financial security, the loss of motivation, the loss of friends, the loss of physical touch, the loss of normality. Perhaps we're anticipating the loss to come. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I have a bit of a partiality towards melancholy. And so delving deep into grief holds an odd sort of appeal to me, which is cheery, I know. But it does seem to make sense to me that we, that we look at this. It's important that we acknowledge this because it's real and it's happening. Ignorance is rarely bliss and certainly not here. I would wonder that God orchestrated this teaching series for us intentionally. When we planned to look at this back in January, we did not know the state that our world would be in. But we believe that God did. And so I want to pay attention. It's important that we bring God into the equation of our experience and look to the Bible and look to Jesus to see what help we can find in a time of trouble. So let's read the next section of the story together. We're looking in the Bible at at John chapter 11, which is in the New Testament. We're starting at verse 28. It's going to be on the screen so you can follow along there. Or if you have a Bible kicking around, you can read it in that as well. So we left off with Martha and Jesus and we read, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? For those who know this story, and especially if you're not like me, you're probably feeling the tension and saying, please, can we just get to the good bit already where Lazarus is raised from the dead? That bit is coming. But for now, this is where we are. And there are some things that we see here that we learn here that I believe can bring some hope, shed some light onto our experiences of, of pain and of disappointment, of suffering and of grief. The truth is, whether we like it or not, as much as this is a collective experience just now, it will also be a personal experience for all of us at some point and at several points in our lives. We will all have to walk through the valley of grief. Some of those griefs will be small, some will be life-altering. Some will come to us and leave us fairly quickly. Others will be griefs we will carry forever. None of us are immune to this. What we see from this passage, and also as we look across the whole life of Jesus, is that he also was not immune to grief. In this story, Jesus shows us that God doesn't just observe our pain or watch our suffering. God is not even just alongside us in grief. In Jesus, we see that God suffers with us. He fully embraces our pain and sorrow as if it was his own. Jesus shows us the God who suffers with us. In this encounter with Mary, it's interesting to see that actually he says very little. He only asks one question of her, where have you laid him? For the most part, he is silent, and I think that's important. Without the babble of words, we see that emotion and feeling have a chance to come to the surface. For some of you, you're all about the feelings. Your feelings have feelings, and you just love nothing better than just to feel all of the feelings. Some of you are so glad that we're not in the same room right now, so you actually can just freely roll your eyes and check your phone at the thought of talking about feelings. Regardless of where we're at, and I have no interest in turning this into something mushy, rather, I look to Jesus and I see something that I cannot deny. In Jesus, we see a man unafraid of feeling things deeply when it really matters. We read here at verse 33 and on many other occasions that Jesus was deeply moved in spirits and troubled. 
And it's actually really strong language. Classically, we have sanitized it a little. If someone says that they are moved by something today, it generally means that they are still holding their stiff upper lip, but they're letting a small trickle of their emotions emerge just for a moment, then they go back in. And it often finds itself in the sentence, I was quite moved by that, actually. There's some good old-fashioned stoicism for you. Jesus is deeply moved and the language here is strong. It is instinctual. It's, it's gut-wrenching. When we read here that Jesus is deeply moved, the word in the original text means something like he is sternly charged. To feel something deeply and strongly. To feel sorrow and grief and anger. Often we quash the fullness of our feelings. We perhaps allow sorrow or anger to rise for a moment, but maybe we have a pang of guilt about it, thinking, I'm a Christian. God is good. Others are so much worse off than me. I shouldn't be angry here. I shouldn't be despairing. And yet we are. So what do we do? Do we remain at an impasse? What we see from Jesus here and all across his life and all across the Bible, actually, is that being deeply moved, allowing the depth of our emotions to be felt is permissioned and modelled. If you don't feel it, you can't aim it. David Kessler has done a lot of work around the subject of grief and he speaks of how our emotions need motion. If they stay pushed down, they stagnate, and that is unpleasant for everyone. If they surface, they will still be painful, but their motion will help us move through them and ultimately help us find healing. I wonder how much permission we are giving ourselves at the moment to address our emotions, to address how we're really feeling. Your loss in this current climate may be different from someone else's. You may still be riding along the wave of an old grief that has been accompanying you for a while. Grief and suffering is not a competition. The worst loss is always your own. What we learn from Jesus here is that we have permission to be deeply moved. And then we come to this tiny little verse, verse 35. If you grew up like going to Sunday school or anything, you probably knew this as the shortest verse in the Bible. And for a long time, that's probably how I related to it. Two words, Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, tick. No, wait, just hold on and back up a second. Jesus wept. This is not the dramatics of an overly emotional person. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And this is not, there goes old waterworks again. In this moment, we see Jesus wade into the darkness that he was witnessing. And like, this is really important because remember the whole story here. Jesus had already said to his disciples before this, Lazarus isn't dead, he's asleep and we're going to wake him up. And we know, because we know the rest of the story, that he does in fact call Lazarus up out of the grave. The victory of that moment is literally just minutes away. So why does he cry? Why is he crying when he knows he's about to raise him from the dead? Why be sad? 
when you know that God is in control and victory is coming. He weeps because death is sad. He weeps because suffering is present and pain is real because he loved his friend. He weeps because it matters to him. This is where we really see the God who suffers with us. God in flesh, Jesus, standing on the cusp of bringing life again, on the cusp of the most incredible miracle, sees the darkness, steps into the suffering and weeps. There is no wrong or right way to grieve. Grieving is just always really hard. I've shared part of my story before. Many of you will know that my dad died when I was 19. He had a short and sudden and vicious illness. I'd lived in Edinburgh for six weeks. I was in my first year of university. It was my first time living away from home. I didn't have any friends yet. And normally the opening lines in your first year of uni are, I study this, I live here, I'm from here, and you feel like wearing it on a sign around your neck because you say it so often. The line that does not fit quite so well into that opening chat is, I study this, I'm from here, I live here, my dad's just died, my life has changed forever, I have no idea how I'm even standing up right now, but here I am, I do want to hang out. I look back. And I have a deep love and compassion for my 19-year-old self. I see that in the first flush of grief, I tried really hard to be okay, to be normal, to be strong. And in public, I fed myself and others with empty platitudes. Now, in reality, the things that I said are absolutely true, and I believe them with all of my heart. But in that moment, out loud, I think I was just trying to be a good Christian. I would say things like, I know God is my father, or God is still in control, or God has a plan. All true, all true, and I believe it. But all that crumbled when I was alone. Because the truth was, sure, I believed God was in control because I believed it, but in that moment, I really didn't care about that. I knew God was my father because I knew he was my father, but in that moment, I didn't care about that. My dad was gone. I knew God had a plan, I believed it because I'd read it, but in that moment, the only plan that I could fathom was, how do I get through to the end of the day? God's plan was distant to me and really not on my mind. In his book, Luminous Dark, Alan Emerson shares his story of walking through grief and he talks of how that phrase, God is in control, is often the Christian's default perspective on God's relationship to our suffering. And of course, it's true, he is in control. But what happens when that is our default perspective or our only perspective on how God is relating to our suffering is that we begin to try and explain away the darkness. This is hard 
this is painful, I am not okay, but God's in control. Another potential in that line of thinking is that the in-control God is painted as distant. The gap widens. We imagine that he is perhaps far off, sorting out the suffering. Often in crisis, global or personal, and Alan highlights this in his book too, we rush so quickly to the God who is in control that we give no time to the God who suffers with us. And the God who suffers with us is just as powerful. What I needed and what I eventually learned was that God was grieving with me. And he still grieves with me because I will mourn my dad for the rest of my life. That is so powerful. That's what we need right now. God's in control because God's in control. But God is also grieving with us, co-suffering with us right now. He chooses that. That is what we see here in Jesus, the one who conquered death, the one who rose victorious, the one who called Lazarus to come out of his tomb, grieved. And this is not an isolated instance. All across the Bible, we see a God who embraces the pain, affliction, torment and anguish of the world. This is the God we follow, the one who steps into the suffering with us and shoulders our pain and grief with us. So where does that leave us? I mean, it feels like we could land on a very heavy and somber note. And honestly, I, I don't just want to end on an upper because that will send us off, you know, feeling better for our Sunday lunch. That is false and empty hope. I am after a different kind of hope. I am after the hope that is wrought in the furnace of life's reality. I'm after the hope that is strong enough to take the full weight of all my joys and sorrows. I'm after hope that is firm and secure and safe. And I believe that hope is found in Jesus. The grieving saviour at this point was fast on his way to the cross, the place where the deepest possible suffering, both physical, emotional and spiritual, would be heaped upon him. He walked into that darkness, he journeyed into that pain for us. It could not be defeated until it was felt. Finding our hope, standing our hope in Jesus doesn't transplant us from suffering. It doesn't offer us a shortcut out. It's a hope that walks through the darkness with us, not around, that journeys into pain with us, not offering us an escape route. And I believe it all starts and ends with him, Jesus, the very name of Jesus. Because 
when we don't have the words, or when pain is too real or, or fresh, or even when all the words have just been used up over many years, or when the reality of what we're facing right now seems too much to comprehend. The name of Jesus is more than enough. In Jesus we see the God who suffers with us, who is deeply moved, who has entered fully into the place of deep suffering for us and with us, and who I believe offers a rugged and determined hope, saying to us, I am with you and I know the way. Let me pray. It says in Isaiah 53 of Jesus, a prophecy about him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Later in Isaiah, in chapter 63, it says, in all their distress, he too was distressed and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So Jesus, we need you in that way right now. We need to know that you are lifting us up and carrying us. Will you help us find peace and rest and solace in the assurance that you are suffering with us, you are grieving with us, you have borne our sorrows and carry our griefs. In all our distress you too enter into that distress to be so fully present with us. We need to know you, God, as the one who is so fully present with us. So right now, wherever we are, whoever we're with, however we're feeling, whatever is stirring within us, Jesus, will you meet us? Father, will you wrap your love around us? And Holy Spirit, will you come into your work in our hearts? We need you, but more than that, we know that you're with us. Help us to experience that more fully. Amen. So we're going to take just a little bit of time and, and actually leave some space to respond to what God might be saying to us. Zach and Lindsay are going to lead us in one final song and I would take this opportunity just where you are to listen to God and to speak to him, to tell him how you feel, to let him carry you, whatever that looks like for you today. 
like Zach said earlier, if you're watching along at 11, we're offering a chance to be prayed for this morning after our gathering finishes. So click the live prayer button and we'll get that sorted for you. Our prayer, time, our prayer team are waiting to do that. They're not going to counsel you, they'll just stand virtually alongside you and ask God to move. So let's take time together now to just be with God. <laughs> 